the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Josh Pick is the Chief Investment Advisor with Aptus Wealth Management, a state-registered investment advisory firm. This program is sponsored by Aptus Wealth Management. Exposure to ideas and financial vehicles discussed should not be considered investment advice or recommendation to buy or sell financial vehicle. This information should not be considered tax or legal advice. Individuals should consult with professionals to see if any ideas expressed would fit their specific situation. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. Securities can fluctuate and when redeemed may be more or less than when originally invested. Welcome to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick. Every week, Josh will teach you ways to help manage, risk, and protect your retirement income in the new economy. The primary focus at Aptus Wealth is to provide flexible planning strategies that can efficiently achieve your long-term retirement goals. Hello, everyone. Hope you're having a great weekend. We know you have a lot of choices out there, so just want to say Thank you. We appreciate you spending time with us today. We're going to unpack all the bad advice you get from financial advisors in just a minute. But first, I want to remind you that besides this show every weekend, you can hear Josh every Monday at 1230 p.m. for Money Mondays with Bruce Hooley right here on 98.9 The Answer. And you can always find the recording at aptuswealth.com. And to schedule an appointment to go through the Aptus Blueprint process, Josh's phone number is 614-364-7300. That is 614-364-7300. Josh, what are some of the popular things we hear from experts that are just simply bad advice? Well, I mean, to be an expert, uh, it seems like on the on the radio, or and this might sound somewhat even self-deprecating as I go into this, but you kind of somewhat have to be polarizing if you want to get big ratings. And hopefully I do a good job of not doing that here and giving, you know, pretty um, non-biased advice. But at the same time, I would say large in part, most of the people you hear on the radio are taking very strong stances one way or the other, being very dramatic you know, there's uh, people on CNBC even, you know, they got a big button that they slam with a buy and a sell order. I mean, that's a lot more dramatic than just saying, I would suggest perhaps you buy this if it gets to a certain price. And really, the people on the radio giving financial advice beyond just stock picking are no different. So a lot of the things that I hear go in line with that. You know, the if you do this, you're an idiot. And if you do this, then you're brilliant. But some of the stuff they say is just flat out wrong. And while, and I'll just kind of go through some of the things that I've heard. Uh, Susie Orman, uh, Dave Ramsey, list goes on. You know, Susie Orman's pretty notorious for saying, I absolutely hate annuities. I would say she's been called out several times on some of the benefits of the annuities that left her a little bit stumped. But anytime you say, I would never do this, and she's pretty staunch about saying stuff like that, I would never buy an annuity. There is no point in them until there is, in which case that kind of falls by the wayside. The other person, you know, Dave Ramsey, um, I think he's got some pretty good stuff, talks about how important it is to eliminate debt, and the only debt you should hold is your mortgage. Good advice. I think we'd all agree that holding a tremendous amount of debt is a bad choice. But for most people, the concept of only having a mortgage simply isn't feasible. I don't know what the stats are, but I can't imagine that the lion's share of people in the United States 
don't have car payments. Uh, most people would love to be able to pay cash for their car. It's simply not feasible. And then if we were going to say, well, we have to aggressively pay off that car before we ever consider doing anything else, uh, most people would never reach a point where they could retire. Uh, I'm sure we can all think about instances or friends or maybe even ourselves where we, we paid off something only to turn around and say, well, good news, that's paid off. I'll just go buy something else now that that's paid off. You have to blend uh, saving and spending. Um, you should always pay yourself first. You should always save first. But if you constantly focus purely on paying off debt and you save nothing, uh, the average individual that I run across would end up with consistently paying off their debt their whole life and having nothing to show for it in the end by buying depreciating assets. So I, I firmly believe and disagree with the concept of pay off all of your debt before you start saving. I think you need to come up with a plan that does both consistently or you're giving up time. And by giving up time, remember time, we've covered this a lot, time is your greatest asset when it comes to investing. And if you give up all that time to pay off debt, you're losing the compounding effect on your savings. So number one, I disagree with only pay off debt and then move on to savings, do both at the same time. The other one that I oftentimes hear, and I think this is just dead wrong, is that the average, and, and I'm not picking on Dave Ramsey exclusively, a lot, of, a lot of people say this, the average rate of return that you can expect out of the stock market investments is 12%. And while I can point to a historical time period, let's say over the last 50 or 60 years, where it's averaged 12% in the stock market, it would be very, very difficult for you to point over and over again to 20-year periods where that occurred. I would challenge you to find more than just a couple. So the point there is, I think it forces or it gives people the illusion that they can save less and still achieve their results when they're assuming that they're going to get 12% per year, not only while they're saving for retirement, but then in retirement, you will still consistently get 12% rates of return. That's just dead wrong. Matter of fact, if you look over the last 20 years, the average of the stock market has been closer to half that than it has been to 12. So very, very uh, overestimating in regards to overall rate of return in the long run. And those are the two big ones that I see all the time is, you know, with, and particularly, I hate to pick on him again, because I like, I like the guy. I think he's a great speaker. I think he has a great radio show, but pay off your debt first and always assume that you're going to get a 12% rate of return. I think those are just dead wrong. Uh, the other one that I, I hear all the time from other kind of, not necessarily financial advisors, but you know, uh, investment advisors or people on television is you can pick the best stocks. If you're just smart and you do research and you pick these 10 stocks, you're going to drastically outpace the market. You need to focus a lot of your energies on picking the right stocks. And while there's certainly been great stock pickers in our lifetime, i.e. Warren Buffett, list goes on, for the most part, and Warren Buffett, I'll use him as an example, so I'm using, I'll use him for his, his uh, feedback on this. For the most part, most people are better off asset diversifying and picking indexes or really well-tenured mutual funds or ETFs. You're simply not going to have a very successful career picking individual stocks and trying to beat the market if you're most people. So 
even though it's great to to watch this, it's very animated. Make sure you buy this stock at this price, that stock at this price. For the most part, most people are better off simply buying a fund or buying the index and automating and setting it and forgetting it. This is the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick. To schedule your own planning session and to learn new strategies to manage risk, call Josh at 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300. Josh, you talked about paying off debt, uh, that topic. Do you find that there are people that are burdened with things like student debt once they're in retirement? Uh, Shockingly, it's becoming more and more often. You would think by the time somebody's 65 years old, obviously they've paid off their debt. Uh, we know a couple of things. We know that you know, most student loan debt payments come with a 10-year payoff, but the reality is most people actually don't pay them off in 10 years simply by the volume uh, or the size of what that debt is. Uh, we also know statistically that the fastest-growing chunk of uh, student debt uh, is held by the oldest borrowers, which means that uh, about 9 million Americans over the age of 50 are still paying off student loans. And you'd say, well, why, again, why is that if you graduate when you're 22 or in your 20s somewhere and you're going to pay it off for 10, 10 or even 20 years, why do people in their 50s and even 60s still have student loans? And the answer is their kids. College has become so expensive due to just the sheer ease of access to debt And uh, the fact that now you can pay back debt almost like a mortgage payment over a longer period of time where it used to be 10 years, it has allowed the cost to skyrocket of college. College costs have gone up by many multiples of normal inflation. And as a result of that, the normal loans that kids can receive to go to college simply aren't enough. And parents are helping. And oftentimes parents haven't saved, obviously, to help, so they're taking out parental loans. So a lot of times what I see, Diane, is parents still paying off student loans well into their 50s and 60s from the kids that they put through college. Now, we could get into a a really long conversation about whether or not this makes sense or how do we change this? You know, is it a good use of funds? Um, You know, people are going back to college, obviously, is another example and and going later in life and switching careers. But I, I think oftentimes what we're finding is people are going into careers that aren't necessarily paying off in the long run. So those kids and or adults are foot with the bill of an education that did not prove to be a lucrative exchange of money, meaning they studied uh, something that they either didn't end up using or didn't end up providing to be a good way to get a high paying job to be able to pay off those debts. So while It's not as common, uh, or it's not very common. It's becoming more and more common, and the stats certainly point in that direction. What about the federal government talking about waiving student loan debt? How do you feel about that? Uh, I think it's a horrible idea, Um, and it's not. uh, I know that might not be a, a great response for people who are sitting with tons of student debt, but if you think about conceptually what college cost before, you used to be able to literally work during the summers and pay for the vast majority of your college. When student loans became federally funded and they became so accessible, the costs of college skyrocketed because, quite frankly, everybody could afford it. And what would happen then if we know that costs skyrocket when we make debt available? What would happen if we eliminated that debt? In other words, we can charge you whatever you want. And then if you rack up too much student debt and you don't get a good job as a result of it, and you, you know, cr- according to this criteria, you qualify, the federal government will just waive it. 
rest assured, econ economics point to this to being true, that the cost of college will go up exponentially even higher. So it's not that I don't want to rid people of their debt. It's that I think that it will make the future problem even worse. What do you think about kids maybe not going to college and, and taking up a trade instead and that kind of schooling? Well, I think, you know, in the past that was very, very common. And while I'm certainly not an expert on what you should do with your individual career, I think that the concept of going to college for everyone became very, very popular. And statistics point to this. And that's just not necessarily the best case. So I think for a lot of folks, um, if we're looking at pure dollars and cents, meaning I'm going to exchange this amount of money for training, in exchange for a job that pays X, uh, for most people, or not for most people, but for a large percentage of people that are going to college, it would probably be more economically prudent to simply go to trade school rather than going to college. I think college is an overintended endeavor, um, but that, I mean, as I'm sitting here talking to you, college educated, clearly I believe in the value of college as well. To schedule an appointment to go through the Aptis Blueprint process, Josh's phone number is 614 614- Three six four seventy three hundred. That's six one four three six four seven three zero zero. And you can always join Josh as he talks retirement with Bruce Hooley every Monday at twelve thirty p.m. on ninety eight nine The Answer, right here. You can always find the recording at aptuswealth.com. More with Josh Pick when we come back. We'll be back with more at the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick at ninety eight nine The Answer. To create a successful retirement plan in today's economy, it takes a customized, solutions-based approach. At Aptus Wealth Management, founder Josh Pick calls it the Aptus Blueprint, and it's focused on managing risk instead of chasing returns. If you're working with another advisor or simply want a second opinion, put his team to work for you. To schedule a complimentary consultation to learn more about the Aptus Blueprint process, contact Josh at 614-364-7300 or visit aptuswealth.com. There is no cost or obligation, but space is limited. To start your plan, call 614 364 7300 or visit aptuswealth.com. Thanks for listening to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show with Josh Pick. To schedule your complimentary customized planning session, give Josh a call at 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300. Welcome back to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick. To schedule your own planning session to learn new strategies to manage risk, Give Josh a call at 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300. Josh, let's say I've called you uh, to set up a complimentary consultation, and uh, I'm meeting with you and your team for the first time. So we sit down, and my first questions for you are, when can I retire and when should I? What happens next? Well, we've talked about this in the past. We have a four-step process, but... You know, this might give us a time to kind of go deeper into what that process looks like. Meeting number one, we just simply call our discovery meeting. So that was, that's when that question would be asked in meeting number one. And my answer to you would be very simple. Um, I don't know yet, uh, but we'll find out. And in meeting one, I'm going to ask you, well, when do you want to retire? Another important question we've talked in the past about is, what would you like to do when you retire? So let's assume that you have all the dollars and cents to get you from point A to point B. What are you going to do? Uh, and we've talked about, uh, again, I hate to revisit the past, but we've talked about if you don't have an idea about what you're going to do, retirement could be very unfulfilling for you. And I've had several people that didn't have an idea and ended up having to go back to work just to simply give themselves something to do. I know that sounds crazy. But through this first meeting of, an, of a discovery, 
I want to find out what have you done so far up to this point? What savings do you have? What are you going to continue to do until you retire? What are your thoughts, beliefs about things like Social Security, taxation, inflation, so that we can come up with not just assumptions that I believe are accurate, but ones that you're comfortable with? And then in meeting number two, you're going to have a really good answer to that question. Uh, If you keep doing what you're doing, can you in fact retire the way that you told me you wanted to retire in our last meeting? Uh, But through that process of what we call analysis in meeting two, you'll also find out what are some things that might pose some problems or create some challenges. What are some things that you have not identified yet? Like, let's say, long-term care. You're doing a great job. You're going to be able to retire. But in the event that one of you, if you're married, goes into a long-term care facility, that could really pose a big problem. Or uh, you've done a great job uh, with savings and retiring and maybe even have a pension. But a big challenge for you is going to be taxes and minimum required distributions and setting up things correctly so that in the event that something happens to one or both of you, um, either at you know full life expectancy, which happens to all of us, or sooner than that, that everything goes to your beneficiaries the way that you want them to. So we really answer the question, can you retire at the time that you want to? And then what are some challenges that might come along the way? And then in meeting number three, we call it our blueprint. And that's how do we come up with the most efficient retirement plan possible for your particular scenario. So in that meeting, we're going to address all of the potential problems that we uncovered in meeting number two. How do we actually solve those problems? We call it a blueprint very purposefully because you will get a blueprint not just a plan, but a blueprint of actionable steps that you can take to improve your situation. And really what this has been over the last three meetings is a really long interview process of what uh, are you looking for in an advisor, in a long-term relationship, and does our process and the way that we do planning fit what you're looking for? So it's just been a really long interview on both sides of the table. Are we a good fit? So not until meeting number four, which we call implementation, Do we decide if what we've come up with is something you want to act upon and are we the right group for you? And Josh's number to schedule one of those is 614-364-7300. That is 614-364-7300. What are the different ages? I know the different generations have a different kind of idea of when they plan to retire. Is there kind of a general? uh, There was an article um, on CNBC that said baby boomers the average expected retirement age is 68. Do you find that different generations are planning for for younger? You know, sometimes I think that it, it almost happens arbitrarily, and it's different for absolutely everybody. While I certainly have people that say, you know, I want to be able to retire by the time I'm 50 or 55, uh, on average, most people are uh, shooting for some time in their mid-60s. And when I say mid-60s, I mean somewhere between 62 and you know, 68 or sometimes even 70. But the big hurdle for a lot of people is health insurance. They want to work till they're 65 so that they qualify for Medicare. Even if they have the financial wherewithal to cover health insurance on their own, many people simply don't want to pay the exorbitant costs of getting it on their own, particularly in their 60s, prior to reaching Medicare age. Now that said, I think a lot of people, you know, best laid plans, right? A lot of people have the plan of working that long, but we also know statistically a significant percentage of us will be retiring at a time that we were not planning through no fault of our own. It could be uh, layoff. It could be, you know, COVID-related is a perfect example here as of late, or it could be taking care of a loved one or even your own health. 
So it's important that when we do this planning, uh, particularly for those of you who are listening and going, you know, I'm just going to work forever, you might not have the choice. So we need to come up with contingency and even kind of tertiary plans uh, to know what would happen if we got there. And now the new word that we use in my office isn't even retirement. Um, it's really financial independence. There's something empowering about knowing that you can retire anytime you want. It doesn't necessarily mean that you will. So how great would it be? Hey, I really like my job. I love my job, but I'm 56 and I could walk away today, but I'm going to continue working as long as I continue to love my job and continue to do the things that I like to do. I'm watching this show on Hulu. It's called Nine Perfect Strangers. And one of the characters won the lottery. He's like, he's younger. Actually, he's in his 30s. Or if you hear someone who retires when they're 50, how many of those people are happy? Do they, without having kind of a plan in place? You know, we talk about this a lot in my office and also just amongst my friends. You know, I've been very fortunate that I've been able to be around a lot of people that are, you know, very wealthy. And one of the biggest challenges, I believe, of retiring early, unless your activities or the people that you hang around are in a very similar situation, it's very difficult to retire when you're in your 40s and 50s because everybody that you like to hang out with or go do things with is, in fact, still working. So it leads to a pretty boring day. And for most people that are in that situation, what we, what we tell them to do is do kind of a temporary retirement. Now, if you think you're going to be able to, to, to do charity work for the rest of your life, you know, take a month or two off and go do it and see if it does, in fact, satisfy you. If you think you can golf every day, you know, take a month off. Golf every day. See if you still enjoy it after a month. Um, but I think it's, it's less common in what I see people retiring early shy of lottery winners. So most of the people that I know that are, that are very uh, well-to-do, very wealthy, high-income earners that are maybe small business owners or physicians, et cetera, they, they actually really love their job. Um, so they're doing it not because they have to. They're doing it because they enjoy it. And really no amount of money uh, is going to tell them that they don't want to do that anymore. Because people really need that sense of purpose. I think so. And that's what I'm really getting at is, you know, where are you going to drive that purpose from after you, reti- after you retire? And you, you have to have an answer to that. Give Josh a call at 614-364-7300. That is 614-364-7300. This is the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick. So for the rest of us uh, folks that haven't won the lottery or are not retiring early, uh, we feel like we're not going to be able to retire even after after saving so much. How come so many feel of us feel like there's, there's never going to be enough to be able to do that? Obviously, I'm hypothesizing, but I am also going to tell you that that is a very common theme. I hear it more and more in my office today than I did 10 years ago, and even more than I did 20 years ago than I did 10 years ago. It seems to be a consistent theme that, um, and it's not necessarily that people are saving less. I know that's a uh, something that we hear, but for the most part, people I see in my office uh, that would have been savers at a certain level 20 years ago are saving at the same level today. So it's even for the people who are adequately, quote-unquote, preparing for retirement, uh, seem to be a lot less certain about the concept of retirement than they were in the past. And some of that is a lack of being able to find purpose because COVID has made you know, accessibility to a lot of the things that they wanted to do just simply not there. So you know, if you wanted to retire and travel, well, it's a weird time for that. But I think a lot of it has to do with the uncertainty that's in the world right now, uncertainty as it relates to inflation. And if you haven't heard, it looks like 
uh, Social Security uh, inflation adjustment for 2022 is going to be somewhere in the 5 to 6% range, which is easily more than double than it's been over the last 10 years. So, you know, inflation is a, is a serious concern for people that I'm talking to. Um, interest rates. You know, in the past, when you retired, you'd say, well, I want to tear back my risk out of stocks and into things like bonds or things like CDs, things that are much safer but provide a rate of return that at least keeps up with inflation. Well, when you have the Treasury, you know, 10-year Treasury paying about a third of what we're hearing that the inflation adjustment is going to be on Social Security, clearly me putting my money in something like that is not going to keep up with inflation. So there's a lot of concern about where am I going to invest to provide a safe rate of return that maintains my standard of living throughout inflation. Um, the other thing that I hear a lot every day is governmental spending and governmental intervention and things like Social Security. Meaning, is Social Security going to run out? And even if it isn't going to run out, governmental spending is going at such a crazy rate. Is the solidarity of this country's, you know, just economics going to continue? Now, I wonder if this conversa- these conversations have, being, uh, have been had over the last, you know, every year for the last hundred years, and we just get it thrown in our face more and more because of, you know, things like the news and, uh, you know, television and even radio, which here we are. Uh, but at the same time, I think these are very real concerns. Uh, the answer to this is education and planning is the only solution. If you have concerns that Social Security could run out and that's the thing that's holding you back from retirement, well, all we have to do is run a plan and see, can you weather the storm if Social Security was to run out or be reduced, et cetera? What if inflation really is a big problem and it goes up by 6% over the next 10 or 15, 20 years? Can you and your situation weather the storm to be able to still retire? And the list goes on. My point is, I find, Diane, that a lot of people are terrified about the monster under the bed. They have no idea what he looks like. They don't know how damaging this monster could be. They don't know, but they're not necessarily doing the planning to find out if they can handle it. So the answer is always the same. Do the work. Do the planning. Let's come up with some semblance of contingent plans, etc. But you're probably in better shape, or at least I hope you're in better shape than you think you are. But for the most part, every stat I see is that Americans think they're in pretty dire straits. I mean, I saw a stat just recently that said, I think it was about six out of 10 Americans believe they're going to have to work longer than they thought they were going to. And over a third believe they're just never going to be able to retire, or maybe it was even higher than that. So it's a real concern, but the only answer is proper planning and education, which is hopefully where we can lend some help. Let me give you Josh's number, the Aptus Wealth Management Office number, so you can schedule your own personalized planning session. We call it the Aptus Blueprint Process. The number is 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300. Join Josh every Monday at 1230 for Money Mondays with Bruce Hooley right here on 98.9 The Answer. More of the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick when we come back. We'll be back with more at the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick at 98.9 The Answer. 
To create a successful retirement plan in today's economy, it takes a customized, solutions-based approach. At Aptis Wealth Management, founder Josh Pick calls it the Aptis Blueprint, and it's focused on managing risk instead of chasing returns. If you're working with another advisor or simply want a second opinion, put his team to work for you. To schedule a complimentary consultation to learn more about the Aptis Blueprint process, contact Josh at 614-364-7300 or visit aptiswealth.com. There is no cost or obligation, but space is limited. To start your plan, call 614-364-7300 or visit aptiswealth.com. Thanks for listening to the Aptis Retirement Blueprint Radio Show with Josh Pick. To schedule your complimentary customized planning session, give Josh a call at 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300. Welcome back to the Aptis Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick. Josh, Kiplinger listed five of the worst assets to inherit, and I'd like to get your thoughts on each of them. Okay. Fire away. Timeshares, number one. Okay. So one, I think the wording in what you just used, the the worst assets to inherit. So let's think about what an asset is. An asset is something that I get that I can quickly sell that provides me value. And while a timeshare can, in fact, be that, sometimes they're a little bit more difficult to sell, if even possible to sell, but they also have a liability column meaning that for, as far as I know, almost every timeshare has some management expense or some sort of maintenance cost or some sort of ongoing expense that you have to pay every year to maintain that timeshare. So let's say I leave a timeshare to my kid and my kid inherits this timeshare. It's great. You have this timeshare that I spent a bunch of money for, but it might cost you, you know, a thousand bucks a year just to keep it. And maybe my child who's inheriting this doesn't have a thousand dollars extra year extra a year to maintain said timeshare so the child says i want to sell this timeshare but maybe the market for it it's bad timing or there's just not a strong market for this particular timeshare it can be a pain and it can be a money drain so it's important that you know that when you receive that timeshare or when it's supposed to be passed to you you can just simply refuse to accept it now Obviously, then you're giving up that asset, but you also don't have the ongoing maintenance charges. So it's important that when that time actually comes, if you're in that situation, you make a formal disclaimer. You literally, during the probate process, you write it down and say, I do not want this. I am leaving it to whatever entity uh, originally issued it. But those can be kind of a pain. I wonder how many people refuse them, and I'd like to know where you can pick them up cheaper then if people are refusing them. That's a good question. I don't know the answer to that. All right. Uh, What about collectibles? Uh, Collectibles, not as big a challenge under current tax code. And the reason I say not as big a challenge is, um, you know, we all know what capital gains rates are. They're the rates on, you know, if I I paid $1,000 for a collectible and now it's worth $2,000, let's say it was a stock, um, the capital gain on that is that $1,000 difference. And there are different tax rates than income tax rates that apply to that. Um, on a stock, it can only go up currently to 20%. That looks like it's going to change potentially here shortly, but currently it's capped at 20%. But then there's something called a step up in basis. Now, the only difference between collectibles in stocks, for example, is that capital gain goes all the way up to 28%, but they both get a step up in basis. So if I paid $1,000 for XYZ collectible, uh, when I pass, my beneficiaries receive it, now it's worth 5000 That's a $4,000 capital gain, but they get a step up in basis up to the 5000 so they do not 
pay taxes on it. However, there's been a significant amount of conversation uh, during the Biden administration as to whether or not we're going to eliminate that step up in basis. So that could be a significant problem because we're right back to what I just said about the timeshare. While a collectible is great and while a collectible might even give us some warm and fuzzies about this was something that our, our parent or whoever left it to us meant a lot to them. But what if we have to pay taxes on this big step up or on the lack of step up rather and there's no market for it? Well, now we could be left with a tax burden on an item that we probably don't want, but we also can't sell. So that could be a challenge. So you can't, who keeps track of this? The federal government keeps track of your collectibles? Oh, well, therein lies the problem. So I don't know how, it, it, how capable they're going to be to implement this unless you buy a collectible through some exchange. You know, if we think about some of the things that are happening today where you can buy you know, ownership shares and, you know, paintings and wine through, you know, all these new methodologies that they have, that would actually be trackable. But I think it'd be very difficult to track, you know, when I bought this particular collectible currently. But I think moving forward, it'll be much more trackable. So when you want to use it for tax purposes to your advantage, that's when it comes into play. Uh, Correct. But I think it's going to be on both sides of the fence moving forward with collectibles. Okay. How about guns? Guns have the same problem as collectibles. Um, In the past, at least, certain guns really weren't tracked necessarily, at least not in some sort of, you know, national uh, computerized database. Now, for the most part, they are. So that's going to be much easier to track. But you also have additional problems with guns. And that is, let's say, you know, I live in Ohio and I pass. The gun laws in Ohio, for the most part, are are pretty favorable to gun ownership. But not all states are like that. So let's say I die and I leave the guns to my child who lives in California or New York City or one of these states that may not be as accommodating to gun ownership. Well, now we're left with a problem. We can't even get the gun, or we have to get permits to get the gun, or we have to jump through some governmental hoops to even take receipt of it before we could turn around and sell it if we don't want it. So that can be cumbersome, again, depending upon where the states are. And as you know, gun laws and rights are always very fluid. They're always under attack in certain states, and uh, they do change over time, and they've changed you know, a, a bunch over the last 10 years, and I would assume they'll continue to moving forward. Okay, what about vacation properties? Vacation properties, let's go right back to what I said about timeshares. You know, great, I own my, my father or my mother were, were uh, incredibly wealthy, and they had this beautiful vacation property that's worth $2 million in, in Florida. And I inherit this property. And I can't afford to keep it. I'm going to sell it. But I can't. It, it might take a little while to sell it. You know, uh, while right now we're in such a great uh, real estate market, imagine if you would have inherited the same property back in, you know, 08, 09. It might take you a really, really long time to sell it. Well, there's obviously upkeep, maintenance costs, utilities, et cetera. And I would assume that, you know, even just the real estate taxes on a $2 million house might be a significant strain for some people. So there can be carrying costs that make it prohibitive to really do well on that on that receipt of property. Okay. And the last one, physical property like jewelry and antiques. Yeah, this is the same kind of thing as collectibles. You know, they can be very expensive to buy. Uh, or let, let's rephrase this. You know, a collectible uh, usually is purchased not just for... Uh, emotional value, but purchased potentially for its resale value. Uh, When we talk about personal property, 
while it may have a lot of emotional value, it may have very, very little real value. There's tons of stuff that we buy that we spend a lot of money on that isn't really worth anything once we walk out of the store with it. Um, so that can be uh, not as great uh, to inherit for a myriad of reasons. Uh, you might not want to let it go because of emotional reasons, um, but it might not be feasible to keep depending upon what the tax laws are at the time. So you just try and leave your kid a diamond ring and it causes all sorts of problems. It is crazy how you think you're doing people favors and sometimes uh, you're giving them a lot of, I mean, if, if you've ever been in a problem or in a situation where you got left, you know, a house, your parents' house or, or, or grandparents' house, first thing you got to do is go through that house. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a cumbersome process. Now, obviously, it's also a cumbersome process that's met with a lot of emotion. So the more that you can clean up a lot of these things, and I'm not saying physically clean out your house, but the more you can make these things pass around probate, the more that you can make them go directly to your kids, the better. Let me give you uh, Josh's number. This is the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick. The number is 614-364-7300, 614-364-7300. Let's talk about probate. Josh, let's let's explain what it means and and why people work so hard to avoid it. Probate is just simply the court process of executing your will, or if you don't have a will, deciding where your stuff goes. If you've ever heard, you know the terms, you know next of kin and all that kind of stuff. That's really indicating the probate process to some capacity. So if I have a will, and in that will it says I want all of my stuff to be divided fifty fifty between my two kids, for example, um, then the probate court is going to decide which kid gets 50% of what. So first, inventory of what everything's worth. Second, debate over who gets this and who gets that. Well, as you can imagine, oftentimes that will involve attorneys, which can get expensive. And it can involve a lot of time because we can argue over, well, I know that you want uh, mom's ring, but I want mom's ring. And now we're going to go through this tussling process. Think of it almost like a divorce process. Uh, that's really what probate is. So the objective to avoid this potentially long-term arduous process involving a lot of money and attorneys is to get around probate via uh, directing all of your stuff goes to people directly with beneficiaries, trusts, etc. So the objective is have as little of your things and your assets go through probate as possible. So that would mean getting rid of the items? No, it doesn't mean getting rid of the items. It means you want to try and avoid probate. So I'll, th- I'll give you the easiest way that we all avoid probate. If you're, if you're married um, and you're in the state of Ohio, uh, you avoided probate pretty much instantaneously when you bought a house because that house is more than likely owned jointly. If something happens to you, your spouse just takes over the property. You've avoided probate. But let's say that you're not married and you're leaving your house to your child. Well, you go to the county and you say, I want to set up my house payable on death or transfer on death to whomever. And then rather than that home going through probate, when you pass, whomever you left it to will show up to the county and say, here's, you know, here's the death certificate. I'm clearly named as the next person to receive this property via vol payable on death death excuse me and it immediately goes to you you do this you can do the same thing with checking accounts savings accounts etc cetera, etc cetera. so you don't have to have joint ownership you just have to have them indicated at that institution 
as payable or transfer on death to whom you want them to go to. Now, this is no different than on your 401k or 403b or life insurance policy. You had to name beneficiaries, and those beneficiaries bypass probate. The other beautiful part about assigning beneficiaries or transfer on death designations is that these are not contestable items for the most part, meaning because they don't go through probate, nobody's arguing about them. If you have a life insurance policy that says, if I have a life insurance policy that says I'm going to leave my entire life insurance policy to you, Diane, even though, uh, you know, spouse and three kids, they can challenge it all they want. The insurance company is going to tell them tough luck. You're the beneficiary. You get the money. So there's no argument or debate over it for the most part. Um, so, again, the easiest way is set as much as you possibly can up so that it bypasses that probate and just goes directly to a beneficiary or a payable on death designation. To schedule your own personalized planning session, we call it the Aptus Blueprint Process. Josh's phone number is 614-364-7300. 614-364-7300. More of the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick when we come back. We'll be back with more at the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick at 98.9 The Answer. To create a successful retirement plan in today's economy, it takes a customized, solutions-based approach. At Aptus Wealth Management, founder Josh Pick calls it the Aptus Blueprint, and it's focused on managing risk instead of chasing returns. If you're working with another advisor or simply want a second opinion, put his team to work for you. To schedule a complimentary consultation to learn more about the Aptus Blueprint process, contact Josh at 614-364-7300 or visit aptuswealth.com. There is no cost or obligation, but space is limited. To start your plan, call 614-364-7300. 7300 or visit aptuswealth.com. Thanks for listening to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show with Josh Pick. To schedule your complimentary customized planning session, give Josh a call at 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300. Welcome back to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick. Josh, what are the most important questions to ask when it comes to planning for long-term care in retirement? I want to dispel a myth first. I, I oftentimes, when I talk to clients, they go, I'm not going into long-term care. I don't need to worry about it. It's not happening to me. And while you very well might be right, um, stats kind of paint you into a corner. Uh, there, there's about a 50-50 shot today by all accounts that all of us are going to end up in a long-term care facility. Now, that's a coin flip. That's a little stronger than it was even 10 or 15 years ago when it used to be about one in four, one in five. So the chances of us going into some sort of long-term care facility have gone up dramatically. And the costs, I actually just met with a client the other day, and she asked me, how much does a typical long-term care facility cost? And I've been using this number for a really long time. In, in Ohio, it's about seven dollars or $8,000 a month. Um, but I actually looked it up. And in the United States, it's about $255 a day, which is just over $93,000 a year. Uh, on average, to pay in a long-term care facility. Now, if you want a semi-private room or even a private room, that number just goes up. So when you think long-term care, if you want to be in your own room, which I would guess most of us would prefer if we had the choice, the number is even higher. It's a six-figure number. And that number is going up dramatically. Um, It's projected by 2030 that the cost will be between 125 and 142,000 roughly per year. So the problem isn't going away. Now, the questions that I would ask is, you know, what are the costs in my area? Number one, uh, what are my options? 
really. You know, I know that now that we've just kind of decided that it is a situation that we have to address, what questions do I have to ask and what are my options? Question number one, now that we know the likelihood of me going into a facility, how long on average am I going to be in said facility? And it used to be a lot longer than it is today. It used to be about slightly less than three-year average stay. It's only about 18 months now, so we're talking about a year and a half. And that's great because that's, um, you know, obviously we don't want to be in a long-term care facility for a long period of time, but also it's more financially uh, manageable. The unfortunate reality about that 18-month number is it's an inverse bell curve, meaning that uh, people usually go in and stay for a very short period of time or the dreaded, you know, memory ward uh, or that wing of the particular long-term care facility, think Alzheimer's, dementia, et cetera. Those folks can be in there a long time. So the challenge in managing and the question that I would ask would be, I want to have a long-term care plan. I don't want to spend my entire living funding it, uh, but I want to make sure that I have all the options available possible. I want to address as much as I possibly can without sacrificing my retirement, but I want to make sure that I can pay for home care as opposed to going into a facility. I want to make sure that um, if I go into a facility and I leave and then go back in, is that also covered? I want to make sure that I can pick whatever facility I want to go to. I don't want to turn into a debt collector, meaning I go into a facility and they tell me that I have to pay $8,000 this month. I pay the $8,000 and then I have to go back to an insurance company to justify the $8,000 that I spent. I want a policy that just the second that I am deemed unable to live on my own and I qualify by most long-term care policies, by the way, qualify by you, by you not being able to do two of six activities of daily living. Once I hit that threshold, I just want you to start paying me. Um, and also, how do trusts incorporate in all this? I guess my, my point is, one of the questions I should ask for long-term care planning is, what is the difference between me utilizing trust work and attorneys versus getting a traditional long-term care policy versus getting a hybrid policy and I want to make sure that I don't have to wrestle with an insurance company if I get any of those policies to get myself paid, regardless of whether or not I'm in a traditional long-term care facility or I'm getting home health care. Is there a policy that you can pay into in case you need long-term health care? And if you don't, you get the money back. Yeah, I mean, that's really the, the, the kind of new way of handling long-term care. I hate to use the word new because it's been around for the better part of a decade, but it is not traditional long-term care. It's called a hybrid policy. And that hybrid policy solves a lot of the problems that people hate about traditional long-term care. The problem with traditional long-term care is I pay into it. I pay a premium every single year. And that premium can go up. So in other words, if the insurance company says, you know, we're paying out more than we thought we were going to, much like auto insurance, we're going to raise your premium. And you have no cost control over that. And then I can pay in for my whole life and never go into a facility and the insurance company doesn't even have the, uh, the couth to send me a thank you letter for paying all my premiums and not getting a darn thing out of it. I literally just threw them down the drain. A hybrid policy, on the other hand, is a life insurance policy with long-term care benefits. Now, don't think life insurance policy in the terms of, I really want to buy this great life insurance policy because if something happens to me, I want to take care of my family. So I'm really leveraging the amount of money that I put in, meaning I put in $5,000 a year and get a million dollars worth of benefit. That's not the case at all. Think about putting in $100,000 one time, and my death benefit on my life insurance policy is only maybe $150,000. So it's not great. 
But in the event that I go into a long-term care facility, let's say for argument's sake, you had $500,000 worth of long-term care benefit. Now, I'm just spitballing these numbers from the hip. These are not a real policy, to be clear. But the numbers uh, paint the picture for us. So I'm taking $100,000 that uh, maybe is sitting in a cash checking account. I have that money because it makes me feel good. It's my safety net. I put that money into a policy that gives me $150,000 death benefit. So if I pass away today, somebody gets 150 grand. Well, that's better than 100. But if I go to a long-term care facility, I have leveraged those dollars dramatically for the purposes of long-term care. But some of those policies even have an additional value, and that is something called return of premium. Meaning if at any point I decide I want to change my mind, I can get a significant ma- amount, even perhaps the full $100,000 back that I put in. So I'm leveraging money that I'm using as a safety net for the purposes of long-term care. Now, did it solve all those problems? And yes, you can annual pay that as well. But did it solve all those problems? Well, if I don't use it, I don't lose it. It goes to my beneficiaries. If I need it, I can get back at least a significant portion of it. And it also affords me a long-term care benefit. So hybrid policies are, quite frankly, the only ones that we really discuss in my office. Um, The other concept of traditional long-term care is just a really, really difficult thing to justify uh, in today's world. Josh, is there a magic number to aim for when thinking about self-funding long-term health care costs? You know, there's a couple ways to look at that. You know, and I've seen a lot of arbitrary numbers out there, like it's going to cost a million five uh, in long-term care. The thing, uh, similarly, you asked me a question early on about things that financial advisors say that I disagree with. I think that's one of them. Uh, And the reason being, I hate using numbers that are so dramatic that cover all your bases that make them unfeasible for almost everybody to handle. Meaning if I told you no problem, as long as you have two and a half million dollars for the long-term care benefits, you're absolutely taken care of. The, The cost to cover that would be so insurmountable that nobody would do anything. So I think it's discouraging. In reality, I think we have to come up with a personalized plan for everybody, meaning, um, well, how much do you have in Social Security benefits? How much do you have in a potential pension? How much do you have in retirement benefits? And how are we going to utilize? In other words, if you're not married, you know, once you're in a long-term care facility, if you're not providing for anybody else, you could theoretically use 100% of your retirement savings if you weren't trying to leave an estate behind. So how much money do you have that we can allocate to long-term care? And then furthermore, what gap do we have or how much do we want to cover if we do want to leave an estate? So it's a very personalized process. So I can't answer that question specifically and say everybody should have a long-term care policy that has a $300,000 benefit. Because quite frankly, some people should not allocate resources to purchase a long-term care policy because it will either jeopardize their retirement or they have, way, they have so, many, so much in the way of assets that they don't need to leverage it if they don't want to. So it's very, very personal, but it's important that we, just like everything else that we talk about on the show, that we uncover those stones, we turn those stones over and see how it applies to you and make sure we have a plan that will work for you and do everything that you want it to do. So when you get to long-term care, if you get to that point, you know exactly what your plan entails. So this is a question that may scare people into thinking about this. What happens if you run out of money while you're in a long-term care facility? Do they just kick you out? And where do you go in America? That's a great question. Uh, So currently, Medicaid, not Medicare, Medicare pays for retirees' uh, medical benefits. Medicaid is the 
other side of the house that pays for individuals' medical care who cannot afford their own care. Currently, if you are broke or what they deem to be destitute, and there's a criteria, but I assure you it's a low number, then Medicaid picks up the tab. Unfortunately, not all facilities are Medicaid-friendly. And one of the big concerns or challenges moving forward is as baby boomers get older and older and older, and the need for some of those baby boomers to go to long-term care starts to exist, then will the facility uh, capacity that we have currently be enough to cover it? And moreover, will there be enough Medicaid-friendly facilities to cover it? And one of the worst scenarios that you could probably encounter is you have to go to a long-term care facility. Obviously, very emotional time, something that none of us wants to do, but you have to go. And you go into a facility that you really, really like, and it's working out well. You've turned that into your home. You have friends there. You know the people who are uh, helping you there in the way of nurses, et cetera. And then you run out of money, and it is not a Medicaid-friendly facility, and you have to find another facility. You're essentially getting kicked out of your home yet again. So there are some challenges that are associated with that. But it is important to note that, at least today, Medicaid is the backstop. Whether or not that can continue uh, amongst governmental spending, amongst the underfunding, Medicaid and Medicare are more underfunded than Social Security, just to give you a perspective. So how that will be handled in the future, I don't think solely relying on it is necessarily the most logical plan, but having it as part of the plan absolutely makes sense. And I'm sure that these facilities with Medicaid or Medicare are, are backed up. There's probably waiting lists. Well, I'm sure it depends on the area of the country that you're in. But, you know, also, you know, where you want to be located could be a challenge. You know, if you want to be close to your kids, but there's no medical uh, Medicaid friendly facility that's close to your children, if you have children um, that has any availability, well, then that's a problem. So now we're talking about the potential of moving multiple times over time to get there. Uh, it, it can just become a challenging thing. And again, I don't want to say that it's a bad approach uh, to have Medicaid cover the tab. Uh, matter of fact, you know, one of the very popular approaches is use trust work to make yourself look like you qualify for Medicaid, even though in reality um, you have more assets than is reflected on the Medicaid uh, application process. Um, that's not necessarily a bad approach, and a lot of attorneys would point you in that direction. But at the same time, you want to have multiple plans in the event of, and if you have the financial wherewithal to do it, will combine and incorporate and integrate all of these different plans together to give you the most options at that time. If you have questions, call Josh. His number is 614-364-7300. That is 614-364-7300. Again, you can hear Josh not only on this show, but every Monday at 1230 as he talks retirement with Bruce Hooley for Money Mondays right here on 98.9 The Answer. Thanks, everyone, for joining us. We'll talk to you next week. You've been listening to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint radio show with host Josh Pick. Josh helps guide his clients through retirement by managing risk instead of chasing returns. He calls it a blueprint, and you can get started at no cost or obligation. Give the team at Aptus Wealth a call today to schedule your consultation at 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300 or online at aptuswealth.com. That's A-P-T-U-S wealth.com. To learn strategies to manage risk in the new economy, join us again next weekend right here at 98.9 The Answer.
Any comments regarding safe and secure investments and guaranteed income streams refer only to fixed insurance products. They do not refer in any way to securities or investment advisory products. Fixed insurance and annuity product guarantees are subject to the claims paying ability of the issuing company. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.